Hi, I'm Sam Fesich from the EduMagic Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another great episode of My EdTech Life. I am so excited to be here with you all on this wonderful Monday. Hopefully you all had a great work day or if you were off today, I hope that you were able to just, you know, get some rest, reconnect and just, uh, you know, enjoy yourselves for today. But I am excited to be here with you today as we've got an amazing guest that I cannot wait for you all to meet. And but before we get to that, I just simply want to say thank you all as always, from the bottom of my heart, for all of your support. Thank you so much for all the likes, shares, and follows. And thank you, as always, just for your support, because it makes me so happy that you are guys, that you guys are all finding some great value in our show and also in our amazing guests. And today is no different. As always, we try and bring you some amazing, amazing educators, amazing creators, and, you know, just that have some amazing stories. And I'm just really excited about today's guest. So today I want to welcome to the show, Dr. Zachary. Zachary, how are you doing this evening? Doing great. This is exciting. Awesome, Zachary. Thank you so much for joining us today. And most importantly, too, thank you so much for reaching out too. you know, as, sure. as uh, you know, on LinkedIn and everything that that's how we make this connection. and. You told me a little bit about your story, what you'd love to talk about. And I said, sure, absolutely. That is what my EdTech life is all about, giving uh, everybody a platform where they can come and share their experiences and journeys. So before we get started, Zachary, as you know, you I know you're familiar with the show, but everybody that comes on the show uh, is like a superhero. And as we know, superheroes have an origin story. So, Zachary, if you can go ahead and share with us a little bit about your origin story. That's a great, that's just great uh, for an introduction. Sure. So, um, I was born in uh, Colorado in uh, 1987, and uh, we moved throughout the United States. My mother's in healthcare, and so moved to everywhere, you know, from uh, Texas uh, to Iowa, of course, which is where I'm at now. Um, and then I went to school and graduated in 2006 for high school. And then I most recently um, graduated um, with my doctorate in 2021. So a lot of activity in between that time, a lot of things that I enjoy doing. Um, definitely a strong reader, of course, um, but just love being with family and, uh, I have a furry cat, Oliver Jones, who keeps me busy. So a lot of good stuff. <laughs> Excellent. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Zachary, for sharing that. And so let me ask you, because I am from Texas, what part of Texas uh, did you reside in? San Angelo. Oh, okay. where, where that is, I forgot. Yeah, San Angelo. Yes, yes. yes. We no, were I'm only, very familiar with that. Yeah. Yeah, we were only there for a year. So it was kind of a, a quick deal. So, yeah. Okay. Excellent. All right. So, Zachary, tell me a little bit about, you know, the current work that you are doing now. I know you just said you finished your doctorate 
But mm-hmm. I was, like I told you earlier in the pre-chat, you know, looking at your information, your bio information, and of course, your LinkedIn profile, I'm like, wow, you are just amazed. I was amazed by all the the amount of work that you have done and the work that you continue to do. And just even sharing in the pre-chat, you know, what you were involved in, I was like, wow, yeah. where do you find the time? <laughs> so share a little bit with our audience sure. what it is that you're currently working in. Yeah. So I always like to say my day job because I have so many, but by day, I'm uh, the director of uh, children's services. Erickson Public Library in Boone, Iowa. So I run an entire uh, department dedicated to infant to, I would say, about fifth grade. Um, I work with an amazing team there. And then I uh, most recently became a consultant at the Space Science Institute, which is based in Colorado. Do as an independent consultant working on a research project right now on quality of life. And then I teach part-time at the uh, University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign in the School of Library and Information Science, so adjunct there. And then in 2011, after my first master's, I opened up my own small business to work with librarians and educators on just a variety of projects. So that's my career thus far. We'll see how much more. Yeah, that is amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. So, Zachary, you know, we we talked a little bit about pre-chat and, you know, you when you reached out, you know, we understand, like I said, this platform is to share, you know, and amplify stories. And, you know, what we're talking about, as as people have seen here, the title of the episode today is A Seat at the Table. So this is something yeah. that we're going to be talking about as far as our, our you know, chat today. So. If we could just share a little bit with us that context of what you mean by, you know, finding a seat at that table. Yeah, you know, it also really connects well with what I do with children. You know, one of the things that I'm a believer in is our stories and telling our stories. Um, So when I uh, was thinking about a title for this, I was thinking about how difficult sometimes it has been with for me, in having a learning disability, um, feeling like I have a seat at the table, thinking about amplifying our voices, thinking about advocacy, um, and just those those struggles and why students, especially with a disability, need to have a seat at the table and deserve to have a seat at the table and to be heard and listened to. Excellent. So, Zachary, if you don't mind, you know, if you can share a little bit about your experience, maybe through grade school, through 12, and, you know, maybe even also in higher ed, you know, talking about, you know, having, needing some additional supports and finding your way to that seat at the table. What was your experience like? Well, I think it's important for, for, for me to first give uh, accolades to both my parents, uh, Doug and Mickey, because um, they taught my brother and I early on to advocate strongly, um, early, early on in our education. My mother especially is dyslexic, so she herself kind of uh, definitely has a strong story of having disability and knowing those struggles, so I want to say thank you to them. But it it really started off um, kind of frustrating I would say around sixth grade, when I knew in my heart that I was placed in special education because of what the requirements at the the state I was in, 
what the requirements were for students to be put in special ed. Wonderful services, wonderful educators who were there to support, but something internally made me think, I just don't know if I'm supposed to be here. I don't think I'm supposed to be here. However, struggles began began for me, and especially test taking. Um, I'm not a good test taker at all. And uh, it became very difficult when reading um, scores began to dip. And so I was able to read and comprehend things like Shakespeare in sixth grade. But because of a test score, um, I was given a second grade reading book. And that really impacted my self uh, acceptance of myself, self understanding. I felt words like stupid or words like misunderstood. I wasn't getting through to the system where I was trying to say there are other ways that I can learn besides this way that will get us to where we need to go. So I kept going into special ed and you know, year after year. And um, it was not until <laughs> summer before I went into, I would say, eighth grade um, where I was in driver's education. And we all know that everybody has to drive the same. There's no accommodations, no way we can modify that test because we all have requirements by law. So I went into it without any accommodations and I passed and a light bulb just went off. And even though I got a 77, 78, I was like, see, there's a way that I can learn. So that year when I went to school, I was determined to graduate out of special education. And I did. I graduated out, which is can be very tricky to do. Um, but we created a plan followed the plan, was very excited about this. And then nobody kind of told me geometry was coming. And I have a visual spatial impairment, which kind of means that on a piece of paper, I can't see 3D. But if I walk around an object, I'll understand that concept. So unfortunately, I failed geometry. And it was rather difficult because the advocacy came out where I said, if you just let me do it this way, I guarantee I'll understand it. Unfortunately, it wasn't the case. Um, and so I just accepted that. Uh, but I got really depressed in my 10th, 10th grade, 11th grade. I would say that was the first time that suicide um, came in my head because I was just so frustrated why I wasn't either being accepted or being seen the way I wanted to be seen. Uh, my folks were still there. We advocated strongly. Um, and as I approached the end of high school, you have your final, what are called IEP meetings, the educational plan, individualized educational plan. And we talked about college and my ECT scores were just, they're just not there. And it was suggested that, you know, maybe, maybe there's another alternative besides college. Well, I'm a person that I'll determine for myself what I will or can or can't do. So I was determined and I graduated. I started college two weeks after high school. 
And I knew that I had to either make it or not. I didn't know. But when I visited with their um, services for accommodations and I got, I had to get retested, which is difficult when you're a college student and they don't help pay for that. So you're paying money out for a psychologist, at least in my experience. That's when I got diagnosed with twice exceptional, which is unique because um, if you go to the um, National Association for Gifted Children, twice exception are children that um, have gifts and are gifted, but they also have a documented disability of some sort. So that would be me. And what was amazing after that is I was able to apply skills of creativity and storytelling, continue my advocacy, but I'm not going to say it was easy. There were a lot of dips in my um, early years in college where the academics were just challenging as they should be. Um, but something happened in my doctorate. Um, towards the end at the dissertation level. I was in a parking lot and I had an amazing um, uh, dissertation staff member and we had a great conversation. And then my advisor and I had a conversation. Just writing is something that I'm challenged by, not because I can't write, but it takes me some time. I also have some dyslexia, so sometimes words are missing. So there's a whole kind of game I have to play. I didn't know if I was going to make it because even though I was advocating for, let's see if we can do it differently, I needed to do it what was required out of me. So hired my own editors. We figured it out. I graduated. And I make it sound like it was quick and easy these last 15 or so years, but definitely a challenge throughout, especially in having this label or this diagnosis it's it continues to be a challenge daily so thank you for letting me share all of that yeah and zachary no i want to just kind of go back a little bit more into the k-12 space and then we'll talk a little bit more too because i definitely have <clears throat> some questions because i'm learning so much from you <clears throat> excuse me and i know that many of our audience members also will be learning a lot but sure uh, I wanted to ask because I myself, when you said, you know, the kind of spatial reasoning and visualization, that that too was something that happened with me in uh, uh, high school where, you know, I did have some trouble in geometry and so on. But, you know, one thing that I love that you advocated for yourself, mm -hmm. you understood, you knew that. And currently right now, there's probably a lot of students that have gone through the education system who have not had the opportunity to advocate and just something so simple that a teacher could have done, which is, you know, sharing, you know, figuring out a math problem instead of doing it this way. Hey, you know, maybe here's another option or a different option. And I love the way that you said, you know what? I may not know how to do it that way. However, yeah. if you let me do it this way, I know that I can do that. Mm -hmm. And kind of what I see sometimes is that 
teachers are just very hesitant and, and just say, no, this is the way it's always been done. This is the way I'm going to continue to do things. And we see students that may not be successful because they weren't given an opportunity to do the problem a different way or see it in a different way. So if you can tell us a little bit about uh, more about that experience in sure. uh, the elementary space yeah. or elementary, you know, K-12 space. Sure. Well, first off, um, I want to shout out to all teachers and educators. They do an amazing job, right? They're, I, I mean, really great work. And so I'm going to frame this as our system right now. Mm -hmm. Our system is we need to, we need to do some work on our system in terms of advocacy and giving uh, children and youth opportunities to speak up and to be okay with that. I think that's something that is needed in our system of education more. Um, and you had uh, reflected on my experience, especially with geometry. I, the struggle came when the system had it. This is how we do things. This is, this is, and it creates, can create um, for some who accept that a block or they will be yielded, especially as become adults. Because part of it, I think being an adult is strategizing other solutions sometimes or other conclusions, finding our own pathway. And, um, and when we talk about like mathematics, for example, obviously, I mean, there are some creative ways to, to solve things and we can use multi-sensory learning. Um, I mean, you know, this is kind of a funny story. Like right now I'm trying to redo some flooring in my bathroom. And it came up where I'm like, okay, I got to go back and think about, got to measure this, but I can't visually see it. Well, then I did some research on applications that can assist with that. That doesn't mean that I'm cheating. doesn't mean a child would be cheating. It's just they found a solution or their parents are working on a solution. And yes, it's important to show our steps, but part of the steps can go differently. You know, where my one, two, three could be your four, five, six, you know, like it, it, I think not being careful not to restrict um, is important, but definitely advocacy. Um, I think a lot of times we want to assume that we want to assume that this is the best way. And it's important that we as adults advocate for our children, absolutely. But taking the time to listen and say, hey, you know, mom, dad, teacher, this is just not, it's not working for me. But here's another way to do that. I think we will go far, much further if, if we do more of that. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I think that, you know, kind of like going back to the theme of a seat at the table. It's everybody needs that seat. You need the student, you need the parents, and of course, all the administrators all there sitting at that table to help, you know, implement these individualized plans to help students be very successful and to make sure that they are followed through because that's what we want. We always want the best for our students sure. and, and forming, uh, yeah, and building that relationship that connection yeah. with the school it, it's not to seem negative you know i know sometimes you know p 
uh, teachers uh, or, you know, our system may see like parents like as a, oh, you know, maybe some a little overwhelmed when they come in and their reactions and so on. But in the end, we, we always know parents are going to want the best for their students. Right. We know that educators want the best for their students, but we just need to, like you said, communicate openly. I think communication, it builds that relationship. We're understanding that all of us come into something with experience, good or bad. We're walking through this this journey. I'm also a proponent of looking at um, more of an ecological system and seeing those relationships within systems, within environments, and knowing that children are part of that. You know, that sometimes when we, we really do need to think about the center core of this, and you brought up the IEP, it's an individualized education plan. Well, who are we talking about? We're talking about the student. And sometimes you're like, where is the student at? Or maybe the student is at the table, but they're just listening. And listening is important. How do we work and help them advocate? Sometimes asking the questions, um, especially as they continue to grow and the more the youth, young adult, as they get ready for college. And let me just say this. I also have an individual in my life who didn't go to college and was successful. Every one of us has skills and um, abilities and how we use those and how we contribute to the world is an important question, observation, something we have to think about. So I, I'm a proponent for education, I'm a proponent for higher education, but let's just know that all of us have different ways to contribute as well. Excellent. I love that, Zachary. Thank you so much for sure. sharing that experience. And now... Like you said, as you moved on now into um, higher ed, you know, you started doing college. And then, of course, um, you said now, while feeling those effects, you know, how the system now, uh, you have to pay out of pocket. What would you say somebody that has had your experience, you know, and the, what you've gone through, what could you say that could be improved in the higher ed space? Yeah, that's a great, you know, again, I, I want to be sure I stress that this has been my experience. Others may have had um, more financial um, uh, opportunity or their institution. But based on my experience, especially after graduating high school, that transition to college, it's really difficult depending on if you're going to a college, like if you're staying in the state that you just graduated in and going to a state or community college or private college in that state, what those communication, you know, systems are like. I know sometimes uh, those counselors do work with those institutions, but there needs to be better communication on students, A, being able to say, hey, I, I I received accommodations. Where do I go with for that, for those? B, the assessment of those. You know, if the IEP at the end of high school, you know, says X, Y, and Z, it was a challenge to go to an educational psychologist and to get retested, fully respect the institution and why they had to do that. But the financial means for that was pretty hefty, um, especially for a a young college student, let alone somebody who was just entering more into their career and financially kind of, you know, strapped for cash, if you, if you would say. Um, I think that if there's ways the institutions have 
more of those resources or abilities on site that would be helpful or contractual opportunities with a local educational psychologist might be helpful. Excuse me. But I also think what's important, taking all that out, just having more of a space of um, connection and communication, right? And it just, identity is identity. This is, this is not full, 100% of my identity is not this, but it's a significant part. And there is, sorry, in my experience and how what I face, sometimes a sense of shame. Why are you in college if you can't understand the basics of grammar, for example? How did you make it this far? Those are my thoughts and, that, and I still have those thoughts. And that comes with shame and that's, it's horrible. So how can we provide a, a safe space for connection? I have a learning disability, but there's a whole slew. And let me just say that, the word disability, I'm okay saying that. I'm okay saying that because um, I have abilities, um, 100%. These are just areas that I um, have to work through, but I'm proud of those areas as well. So I think self-understanding is important too. So those would be some of my areas for higher ed to, to work on. Excellent. Well. Yeah. And those are great points, Zachary. Thank you sure. so much for sharing that yeah. and that experience yeah. as well. So now coming back now, you know, you've got your, you said you've got your master's, you've got your doctorate and, you know, you're now working and you're doing quite a lot. You're heavily involved. And of course, again, going back to the center of the conversation, which is the, the seat at the table, and we're kind of seeing, you know, as the conversation's going, what we're really talking about, and and we're you're sharing your experience. So, even so, now, how do you feel? You just received your doctorate in 2021, you know, doctoral studies. You had master's doctoral studies. The work that you've put in. Um, do you feel currently, right now, that having that has given you or afforded you the ability to kind of start getting closer to the table and getting a seat at that table? Or do you sure. feel still that that seat at the table can, is still a little bit distant? Yeah. Well, I think it's important for me to say that I've always felt that I've had a seat at the table, whether I was welcomed is a different story. Um, Receiving my doctorate was an amazing milestone in my life. Uh-oh, might start crying about work. Um, I'll pause here for a second. It was, yeah, it was uh, an amazing milestone in my life, but just the uh, sacrifice that, especially with someone with a disability, it was tough. It still is. I still have this. I like, you know, it's called imposter syndrome, right? where you're like, oh, they're going to find out that I'm a fake. That's how I feel sometimes. And, and that's all because of some of the strong struggles of being told that I wasn't good enough or I wasn't smart enough or I shouldn't be here. That's what I mean by I, I have a seat, but I have to sometimes fight to feel welcomed at the table. Um, I will say getting this far and receiving these, this milestone moment affords me the opportunity to do something like this and to share this, uh, my story. And, um, but I always like to also say that 
I went to a community college, Des Moines Area Community College, and they saved part of my life. And reaffirming that I am intelligent, that I have worth and value. And it was, I actually sometimes see that those two degrees that I received there at a different level than even my doctorate. And because we have to start somewhere. Um, but yeah, it, it's a daily struggle sometimes. Um, currently writing a book with my friend and co-author, Tom Redone, on, on creativity. Um, but the process of writing kind of puts me back in that weird seat. Not that I'm not able to write, but it's not, it doesn't come easy to me sometimes. And overthinking and procrastination only because I'm a perfectionist. And then doubting myself and my abilities, it's, it's a whole thing. And I think it's important to, when, especially when we work in teams, to share that, to say, hey, look, this is why I'm struggling. It's not the content. It's not this. It's because this is where I'm at. This is how I learn. And so we're working through those strategies there too. So I finally got to your answer. I hope that's okay that I took that long. <laughs> no, absolutely. Okay. Thank you so much, Zachary. And and I love one thing that you said, you know, it's just, uh, it's where you're at. And and again, you know, the, the way we process the learning and I myself, Really, you know, in listening to you speak, I was like, oh, yeah, I, I, I do the procrastination. I'm one of those, you know, that always waits, you know, to the last minute. And I, I had a friend of mine who coined a term and I had heard it for the first time, which is dopamining. And because he said that it's the same thing. He waits the last week for that adrenaline rush, but also because it's like a profession, a perfectionist. You want to make sure that it comes out great and so on. So, yeah, I mean, and what I'm learning and what I love today that you're sharing in the conversation and that you mentioned so well is that, hey, it's not that I don't know the content. It's, hey, I, we learn different. I process things differently. And boy, just to share your message there and to have the ability to have students feel comfortable enough and have psychological safety within their classroom setting to say, hey, I get it. But let me try it different in a different way to be able to do the self-advocacy. Yeah. That's something that's great. Well, I'll add this, you know, there is something to be said about being um, confrontational or um, aggressive or I guess if the word pompous, I don't know. I'm not saying, you know, obviously like demanding your seat and walking in and, and creating an argument. It's, it's, it's more of just taking a seat. And then people can either ask questions as to why or let it go. But making sure that you're listening and making sure that you're advocating when you need to advocate, it really is an important thing from a social emotional standpoint. And it really, the other connection is to my teaching at the, at the university level. I, I teach an amazing course on early literacy. That's really not teaching for me. It's just a passion and joy. And the beautiful part about a class like that is that we can tell our stories and there's multi ways that students can agree with me on how they understand the content and, and, and demonstrate the content. So the experiences that I've had ha are, I hope, helping the students that I'm working with as well. Oh, that's wonderful. And especially the storytelling component. And I, yeah. I am huge on that. You know, I, that, and you know, one of the reasons that I love this show and it kind of turned into 
this, you know, what you're doing today is really, you know, the mission of the show to amplify stories, amplify because we learn from them and and we see the the different learning, we see the different experiences, we see people's journeys and there's always something there that we can all take and sprinkle on into what we're already doing and, and relate to and make that connection. And, you know, that's the whole point. And I absolutely love that. So thank you so much for sharing yeah, that and that absolutely. you're passionate about it. Very passionate. And I, and I will also add this, you know, investment in education, I understand, needs to be focused on curriculum and like the, the trends and but investment in education has to first be the person, right? And the, the student. That has to be the focus. And connecting with our students, connecting with the family has to be where investments start. That's where we really need to think about. And then we can use that and, and then sprinkle in all the other important needs. But if if we're forgetting to connect and understand identities and understand where student, who students are and where they're coming from, understanding their traditions, their cultures, all of that. We're not doing that. The system is not doing that. Then we really need to slow down and really re-energize and refocus that. So I just wanted to add that piece. Love that. Love that. Well said. Well said. So, um, Zachary, now in your experience, like you said, now you are teaching college level courses. How has your experience that you've lived, you know, have helped you to be that great professor that you are? Mm -hmm. You know, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So first off, that the, the school that I work for is just amazing. They have an amazing faculty of support. When I first started there, because I'm coming out of college, right? I'm coming from a student where I'm always calling them at my university, like professor or doctorate. This is the first time where I can have my students, if I'm okay with it, call me Zach. And I love that. Not because I don't want, you know, it's good to be respected for your work, but it's a level playing field where we can have this uh, different level of connection sometimes. Um, but being a part-time adjunct lecturer, um, even it has afforded me the opportunity to really, um, invest in uh, my, in students. I take a lot of time sometimes to, uh, for students who need, you know, more, um, uh, time to speak to me or, um, want to meet before or after class. That's what this, this school, this, at this university, they, they really stress that importance and all faculty spend the time that they need to connect with students. It just helps because we're not necessarily always focusing on content. It's like, how are you doing? Where are you at? All of those different factors. And then we, of course, talk about the content, but definitely has afforded me opportunity to make sure I'm connecting, spending that, that time to do that. Man, that is great. I, that's so exciting, you know, and that's something that I look forward to someday too as well to be in your seat as we talked about, you know, my journey as well and getting a little bit closer to start riding like the wind and, you know, hopefully yeah. take that next step. All right. Yeah. So, Zachary, like, if I may ask too, I, I kind of want to, and you know, maybe dive in a little bit into, you made a comment 
that you're currently working on a book, you and another co-author. Can you share a little bit more about what that book is going to be about? Yeah, I sure can. Um, So our book, you know, centers on creativity and um, we like to call them secrets, but they're really not secrets of creativity. We we are beginning to understand uh, more and more that creativity is definitely multifaceted. There's so many different layers of creativity um, from the neurological lens, from the biological lens, from the sociological lens. But it's not going to be this academic jargon, if you will, of about creativity. A lot of respected research, and we are combing through that. But we are targeting early childhood uh, professionals and care care providers, and and uh, providing uh, some implementation on areas of creativity within their practice. What's really neat about this co-authorship is Tom Rendon. He's got a strong long background in early childhood and I have a strong almost getting their law background in, in library science or librarianship. So that's informal learning environment on my end. And then he's got the formal learning environment and and how can we make that bridge? We talk about the ecosystem piece. Do definitely bring up Ross and Brenner a lot in our book on, on his Bioecological model and looking at those different layers of ecology and the systems and, and, and those connections. So we're still working. It's, you know, work in progress, but hopefully we'll be out relatively soon. So, oh, but I love that. I'm so excited as I'm a big proponent of amplifying creativity and just creation altogether and allowing students to create in the classroom. And so I'm sure. really excited about this project that you're going to get to do. And like you said, just bridging that gap between kind of like the formal and informal and just sure. bringing it to the educated education landscape. So that's wonderful. You bet. Excellent. Well, Zachary, it has been an amazing, amazing conversation. Uh, but before we get into our last segment, which is my favorite three questions to end the show with, I just wanted to open up the floor to you. If there's anything else that you would like to share, you know, with our audience members, you know, feel free to do so at this yeah. time. Yeah, I, I first off, thank you for this opportunity. It um, it's part of my life mission, if you will, to kind of sprinkle my experience to bring whatever my experience can bring out to assist somebody. Um, so I, I appreciate that, and I think that what I will leave listeners with is uh, know that students should be at the table and can be at the table and need to be listened to. Um, that we need to teach them the skills of advocacy so that they're able to stand firm and strong and who they are and how they learn, it will just go far. Um, and I, I want to also say this, you know, even though I've, I've had these struggles and I've had really difficult comments, these experiences, talked about briefly the suicide attempt, um, it really has molded me to be where I'm at today. And so I'm grateful that I've been able to persevere in that way and really appreciate those that I work with and those who have mentored me and guided me continue to do that. So that those are my last few statements. Excellent. Zachary, thank you so much. That was so well put. Sure. And I'm so thankful that I had the opportunity to speak with you today that I'm so thankful that you reached out and we made this show happen. And just for you to 
you know, I get to be here with you today. I'm so thankful for this moment because today I learned so much from you and I am just so thankful for the work that you continue to do and the experience that you had in sharing that out is definitely something beneficial sure. for everybody that will listen to the show and hopefully we'll definitely make that happen and millions yeah. of people listen to this and get to know who you are because you definitely have a great voice and a great message and I'm just really excited to see what the future is going to bring and like I said, I, I want to leave this as an open invite too. that whenever you're done with your book, you're more than welcome to reach out to me and say, hey, yeah. we're done with this and we want to share it with the world. Great. You have an open platform here, my friends. So I'm really oh, excited. Oh, wonderful. Thank yes, you. Yes, sir. Absolutely. All right, Zachary. Well, here we go. This is the last segment of the show where we end with the following three questions. So question number one is, in the current state of education, what would you say is your current edu kryptonite? Okay, one question. Can you remind me, like, am, am I with kryptonite? Is it something that I find needs to be approved? Is that what you're asking? Oh, something that weakens you, I guess, or makes okay. you feel like uh, I, when you hear yeah. about it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely will have to be censorship. I am not a fan um, of censorship of books, um, not a censorship over material, especially history. Things have happened. We need to learn about it. And I go back to saying, every one of us has experiences. We're all different. All of us have different culture, different traits, different, you know, beliefs. Um, we need to treasure those. We need to invest in those. So I get weakened knowing that there are policies and or laws uh, being discussed or have been passed where um, will cause significant harm, especially in the area of censorship. So, All right. Good answer, Zachary. Thank you so much for sharing that. All right. Sure. Question, question number two is, if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? I taste the first thing that just came to my head is a saying that I always say is, which is go big or go home. And I, and I say that, and I know that's kind of odd. I mean, there's more things that I could say, but what I mean by when I say that to many people is we have to try, we have to do something. We have to take our first step and sometimes um, taking that big leap, if you will, if we don't do that, then what's the point? You know, we have to sometimes settle with our fear and knowing, yeah, taking a big step is going to be hard, but we got to do that. So I would say go big or go home. Excellent. Great answer. Great motivation there for sure. And sure. so great message. All right. And Zachary, last question. Let's say that this was your podcast today and I was your guest. What would be one question you'd like to ask me? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, to you, how important um, is uh, social emotional well-being as part of your daily practice as a, as a teacher? Or do you practice that? Yes, no, absolutely. It's something that is very important from 
the get-go just in even in the evening winding down after all of this is shut down you know just spending that time with my wife just both of us like decompressing and just talking about our day being able to just have that open communication planning what's going on the next day or the next couple of days but waking up refreshed waking up in prayer and just really going out and doing the best that we can but also you know, I, I did have some issues or kind of learning a little bit about, like you talked, a little, we talked a little bit about pre-chat, but setting those boundaries, you know, and boundaries are definitely something that is very important. So definitely social, emotional well-being in my day-to-day is something that is very important. And just really trying not to take on maybe sometimes, you know, problems that won't, don't affect me directly but that I know that I can advocate for. But if they don't affect me directly, I'm not going to carry somebody else's, you know, burden many times because that can really drain you many times. So just picking and choosing who I surround myself with also helps a lot, definitely. So that's very important. I wanted to point out what I love about your answer is that you also included yourself, right? Because a lot of times when I speak to other practitioners, immediately as who we serve, which is important, but it's very important that we focus on our own SEL as well. So thank you for that. Yes, you're very welcome, Zachary. And thank you again from the bottom of my heart for being such an amazing guest. I am so happy that we got to make this show happen. And, you know, I I won't be surprised, Zachary, if we have a lot of my friends and colleagues that will reach out to you too as well oh. to have you on their show because you yeah. are definitely an amazing and worthy guest. Thank you so much for sharing yeah. your story here. Thank and you. To, yes, of course. And to everybody that joined us today, um, I know we did some did see some people in the chat. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. For those of you that are watching live or that are going to catch this on the replay, Thank you so much, as always, from the bottom of my heart for making Maya Tech Life what it is today. Please make sure that you stop by our website at myedtech.life, myedtech.life, where you can check out this amazing episode and the other 165 amazing episodes to learn from teachers and creators and just really hear their stories. So thank you always from the bottom of my heart for your support. And if you'd like to contribute to our mission, please stop by our store where you can go ahead and get yourself some My EdTech Life gear. We've got some caps. We've got some sweaters. We know that conference season is around the corner. So we definitely want you maybe sporting some My EdTech Life gear. That would be great. So please head on over and contribute to our mission of connecting educators and creators one show at a time. So as always, my friends, until next time, don't forget, stay techie.